So let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for every single person who is here today, and I thank you for your presence amongst us. Your word says that where two or more are gathered together, there you are in their midst. We just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your touch in each one of the homes and of the families that are represented here. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, touch each of our hearts, that none of us would leave the way that we came, that it would be your word, not mine, that changes the hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you don't know me, uh, my name's Joshua Vanderklok. I'm one of the pastors here. I actually, uh, the thing I do most is our Spanish ministry. So I preach in this sanctuary during the 1130 service, pero lo hago todo en español. Entonces, si de repente salto al español, me tienes que perdonar. I said, I do it all in Spanish, so if I lose track and I jump over, you can just forgive me. Um, today, the title of the message is Unconditional. Unconditional. And, and I feel like God put this on my heart um, and, and I began to think about how many things about God's dealings with us are unconditional. You realize that he loves us unconditionally. Our forgiveness is unconditional. It doesn't matter what we did. He has accepted us unconditional. He values us unconditionally. It, it's not that I have to earn my place with God. And, and that is so foreign to every other religion in the world. And uh, I, I called my mom this morning and I said, can you find the picture? Because I know the picture exists of me when I was about five years old, sitting on the top of one of the Mexican pyramids. How many of you guys knew there were pyramids in Mexico? The third largest pyramid in the world is in Mexico. And uh, there's a picture of me sitting on that and I wanted to have that picture to show you, but I don't. She couldn't find it. So this is just, this is the pyramid. You can see it. They'll have a picture of it up. And what strikes me as interesting about this is that in 1457, they had a re-inauguration of this pyramid. <clears throat> the conservative, the most conservative number I could find said that in four days they sacrificed 4,000 people on that pyramid. The higher estimate was 80,000 in four days. Now, why did they do that? They were trying to win God's approval. Why? I mean, just that is unfathomable to realize. But, but we think, okay, well, that was a long time ago, and that was pagan. But realize that there are branches of Christianity today that are still trying to earn God's salvation with penance. And I have a picture, um, a more modern picture, of some people trying to earn God's salvation. In Mexico, you know, they're, they're coming. You can see on this strip through the middle, you can see this guy kneeling and then someone behind him kneeling. That's because he was told that if he would kneel and go a certain distance, praying certain prayers, that he could earn forgiveness or earn exception, acceptance or earn right standing with God. In, in, in Mexico, there are, are crosses and little prayer places at the top of almost every mountain when you get near a city. And you know what they're for? The people, when they've sinned, go to their priest and their priest says, you know, go climb that mountain, suffer 
to earn repentance. Go up, say so many prayers at the top, and then you'll be accepted, then you'll be forgiven, then you can, you can earn God's love again. And it is so common throughout the world that that's what we do. The question on everybody's mind is, what do I need to do to earn the love of the creator of the universe? What do I need to do to earn the love of the creator of the universe? And here is the interesting thing. The real kicker is the answer is nothing. See, this is what the Bible says. It says in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When did God show his love for you? Before you did anything to deserve it. He loved us when we were still sinners. God loves us unconditionally. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is in Acts chapter 17. Paul shows up at this place that is so religious that, that all of the idol makers had started taking advantage of that place. They would go and come up with a new God and say, hey, here's a God you haven't heard about. And then everybody would buy it and they'd try to worship it because they didn't want to leave anybody out. And it became, history tells us, it became so prominent that the, the, the locals had to create a law that said you are not allowed to introduce a new God here. And they had one, you know, cover your bases God where they had a monument to the unknown God. And Paul shows up there, and to avoid breaking the law, I love this, instead of telling them about a new God, he says, I see you already have an inscription to the unknown God, let me tell you about him. And then he goes on to describe who God is, and he says, God, he created everything. And then, this is the part I like, because it's only like six or seven scriptures where he summarizes who God is. He says, God is the creator of everything. And he also summarizes why God did what he did. And so we're going to jump to the verse where he gets to that. So he says, God, who created everything and everyone. Verse 27, God did this so that they, being the people he created, would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he isn't very far from any of us. So here's the deal. We were loved by God before we repented. We were loved by God before we were born. We were created by God because he desired that we would reach out for him. You and I were created for a loving relationship with God. And you don't have to do anything to earn that love. You just have to accept it. Romans chapter 8, 35 through 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Like what, what could stop God's love? For your sake... It says, it is written, for your sake, we face death all day. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced, here's, this, here's the one you, do put on, you put on your fridge. It says, for I am convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Can anybody think of something that isn't included in anything else in all creation? I mean, that is about as entirely all-inclusive a statement you could possibly make nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, that is the love he has for me. A a love that is unconditional, a love that is unstoppable. So my kids and I, we have a little thing going, and and I was thinking about how I'd tell the story, and I I thought, I, I don't want this to sound at all morbid, but here's what I do with my kids is I started out, ever since they were really small, I'd say, do you know that I love you? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I tell them that all the time. And I say, so, if you were really mean to me, would I still love you? They say, yeah. Now, with kids, you have to be extreme in order to keep their attention and, you know, it needs to be funny. So I would say stuff like, so, if you hit my toe with a hammer, would I still love you? And they... You know, the first time I started doing that, they're kind of like, I don't know, what would happen if we hit his toe with a hammer? (laughs) And I say, well, I would be really, you know, I'd probably jump up and down because it hurts so bad, but I'd still love you. And I would, we'd make up stuff, and I would say things, you know, with my boys, I'd say, well, what if you cut off my leg? Would I still love you? Yeah. What if you, and I just would, anything, because I wanted my kids to hear and know and to be reinforced. You know what? There isn't anything I can do that will stop dad from loving me. He would be upset. He would be in pain. He would scream. He would cry. He would, you know, I, there are things, they could get a reaction, but nowhere in that reaction would be, okay, I've stopped loving you now. And that's what I want to, and this is what God says to us. He says, I love you unconditionally. My love can't be stopped by anything else in all creation. It doesn't get much more all-inclusive, complete than that. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to him from far. He loved you with an everlasting love. How big is his love? It's unstoppable by anything in creation. How long-lasting is his love? It's everlasting. And it says, Therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. I was talking about how I, I try and tell my kids how much I love. How many of you guys are parents? How many of you love your kids? You realize, as a parent, there is something special about that. How many of you, how many of you kids are not perfect? Okay. How many of you guys, how many parents will admit your kids have done stuff that you forgave that if it had been someone else's kid, it would have been really hard? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is what the Bible says in in 1 John 3, 1. It says, how great is the love the Father, Heavenly Father, has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. See, God compares himself over and over in the Bible to a father because he wants us to understand what his love is like. His love isn't like a high school sweetheart thing. 
that, you know, blows up, blows over, and it's gone. No, he says his love is like a father to a child. It's a parental, that's an unconditional love. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 15. I love the way it says it in the, here's a translation you may not have heard of recently, the Aramaic Bible in plain English. It says, and I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, him from whom every fatherhood is named. It says, every fatherhood has its root in him. He's the daddy of daddies. He is, it says, that is in heaven and in earth. The whole concept of, of the love that a father has, it comes from him, his love. That love that we feel for our kids that, that extends, that they're born messy and, and inconvenient and obnoxious. And we love it. That love is modeled after God's love for us. So here's the thing. Each of us are wired for unconditional love. How many of you desire to be loved unconditionally? I know I do. I know we, we were created for it. I'm going to read a poem that every once in a while I wax poetic. And this is a poem I wrote for my wife when we were just dating. Okay? So this is... This talks about a desire that I believe most of us have. It says, see me weak was the title of this. This is what it said. You might think it strange, but I hope you see me weak. But it is not because rejection is what I seek. The truth is rejection is perhaps what I fear most. Yet of acceptance of a mask, I do not wish to boast. The closer I invite you, the more that you might see the less than perfect parts that are a part of me. Nobody is perfect, I know that quite full well. Yet often we hide our flaws and think no one can tell. That's not my desire for my closest friend. I want for you to know me from beginning to the end. I am flawed, I promise. I trust that you are too. We are both flawed people. What are we to do? Risking the exposure of a maskless face is to me worth the chance you'll look on me with grace. I want to keep my mask off whenever I'm with you so that if you love me, I'll know that love is true. I've resolved to take the risk. I am an open book. Every page is unlocked for you to take a look. True acceptance is a gift I hope I may grant you, but I can only accept what you let me view. See, every one of us... Thank you. Every one of us has that desire. And we have it because God put it in us. And he put it there because he made us for it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 11 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In the love of God was made manifest, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent 
his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, so listen to this. This is an if question. It's an if then. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Why do we love? Are we supposed to love people because they earned it? This scripture tells us why we're supposed to love. Our love is intended by God to be a response to his love. Have you ever heard the statement, hurting people hurt people? Loved people love people. You see, we are designed to respond to God's love by loving others. The Bible tells us that this applies in our marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, 25 says, Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So, Ryan, I need your help a minute. Grab a hold of this. We're going to bring it right to the middle here because the light isn't good over there. All right. So this triangle is 10 feet across. Yeah, go ahead and pull that out of the way. This triangle is 10 feet across. Ryan, stand at that corner. Right there. Can we reach? No. That, that I mean, it's a long ways to get from here to there. Okay. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. This is God's promise to us. Okay. I had a couple that was coming to me for, for marriage counseling, and they were, they were talking, and, and, and each of them kept saying, well, you know, I, I'll go all in if they'll go all in, but they're not going all in, so, so you know, I'm kind of holding back. And neither one was willing to give the other unconditional love until they got unconditional love. And they were like this. I mean, there was a divide that, that just seemed unattainable. I took, how many of you know what a ratchet strap is? I took the ratchet straps, I went and I tied them to some trees about this far apart, and I put it up about 10 inches, 12 inches off the ground, and I told them to come balance on it. So I come over here, and we're going to pretend to be that couple. So, stood up there, and I said, all right. Now, keep going. Get farther apart. Now, as you do this, you're trying to stay upright by yourself. And when I do that, I can get about so far. Ryan's pretty tall. He's got long arms. I've got long arms. We can get about here. And then we've got to lean in a little bit. And here's what happens a lot of times in marriage. People say, you know, all right, I I'm, in a, I'm in a relationship. But, you know, they, didn't, they did something I didn't like. So how am I going to get them to, to do what I want? And then they say, listen, 
If you don't shape up, you do that again, I'll call my divorce lawyer. Now, why do they say that? Well, they, they, what their goal is, well, I'm going to whip them into shape. In fact, I had a, 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 just a little bit ago, I saw somebody, a, a Facebook post blew my mind. Someone I know, they wrote the Facebook post and they were, they were in essence telling their friends that they were about to get divorced. And this is what they wrote. They said, divorce, the word I thought I would only use as a threat is now a reality. And I just facepalmed. And I thought, you created that reality with those words. Because let me show you something. If I try to come back and I say, I'm not committed, I'm going to prove to you, this is hard. You need to work. In fact, I won't commit unless you do. Then it gets, it gets tough. It, it doesn't work very well. Okay, I can't. Keep going. Keep going. Come on. Come on. I'm not committing. It doesn't work. All right, but... If I commit and you commit, come on, we get all the way in. We're actually disappointed that they didn't make this bigger because I think we could probably go quite a few far, bit farther because we're both fully committed. That's what it takes. Thanks. I use that example because... Not only does unconditional love apply to our relationship with God, but it applies to our relationship with our kids. It applies to our relationship with our spouses. We realize we weren't designed to function in a conditional love setting. That's not how God designed us. The Bible says that we are the bride of Christ. How does he love us? Unconditionally. He desires to be a picture of the relationship that we should have. If we are trying to use a lack of commitment to create stability in your marriage, you are wrong. That won't work. You can't do that. There are so many things that are un counterintuitive in the Bible. The Bible says, give and you will have less. No, what does the Bible say? Give and you shall receive. Press down, shaken together, and running over. Give and you shall receive. The Bible says, love your friends. What else does it say? It says, love your enemies and pray for them. It seems counterintuitive, but I double-dog dare you to do it because it will work. The Bible says that the greatest of all is the one with the most servants. No. It says the greatest of all is the greatest servant. There are so many aspects of true spirituality that are, are counterproductive. And as we apply this to marriage, I want to tell you about a book that, that I loved. It's like 300 pages with all kinds of statistics. Most of you decided already not to read it. But this was the book. It was called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. 
and it was written by a, a group of psychologists who started out with what they thought was going to be a five-year study, and they got a group of kids who were living in intact homes, and then they got a group of kids who had been recently in a family that had recently divorced. I said, we're going to study what is the difference, what is the impact of divorce on, on kids? And so they asked them questions after, you know, right away. They asked them questions after a year. They asked them questions after three years. They asked them questions after five years. And then after seven years, they still had the information, so they got back and they asked them again. After 10, after 15, after 20 years, they went back to this same group of people and they asked a bunch of questions and they learned and they looked and they, what they thought they would find is that the greatest common factor between those kids who has, whose families had fallen apart and the kids whose families had stayed together was going to be rebellion in high school or promiscuity, or they'd paint their nails black, and who knows, that they would act out right away. And to their surprise, that wasn't the case. Of course, there were kids who did that, but that wasn't the greatest common denominator. They said the biggest similarities we found between those who were in an intact home and those who were in a home that had experienced a divorce didn't occur until their early 20s when they tried to enter a relationship. And they said, we then compared the people who had stayed in a family. They pulled the part. They said, well, we looked at the group that stayed in a family but reported that their parents fought. You know, what about the people who, who could have separated, gotten divorced, but didn't? And they just, you know, bickered and fought and, and didn't seem to have a happy marriage. Which, those kids who, who grew up around that, who do you think they had more in common with? The, people who'd, the kids who'd experienced divorce or the kids who hadn't? And what they said was, they fell in line over here. They were similar to the group that had been in loving homes. And this is what the, the authors wrote. They said, to our surprise, it turns out that the greatest impact came because this group ceased to believe that unconditional love was attainable. And this group, even though they had seen their parents fight, even though they had seen their parents go through ups and downs, believed that it was possible to find someone who would accept them unconditionally. And therefore, when they enter a relationship, they were loving their spouses in a more unconditional, not, not completely, it's, it, please, you are not destined to be on one side or the other just because of your circumstances. But when they looked at a statistical whole, that's what they said. And I have never, ever forgotten that because I realized something. Jesus knew this all the way back in the beginning. The Pharisees came to him trying to trick him and they said, is it true that we can divorce for any reason? And history tells us that they would, they would get married and then they'd come up with a reason. They'd get divorced and they'd remarry someone else and they thought that they were awesome because they would just bounce around, marry, remarry. It was musical spouses, but they did it all with inside of the, the marriage and re divorce and marriage. And, and they thought, we're awesome. We never break a rule. 
And God said, no, no, what God has joined together, don't separate. And they said, well, well, that's pretty, that's pretty rough. I mean, if that's the case, why did God tell Moses, you know what, tell the people if they need a divorce, this is what they should do, and they can issue a certificate of divorce, and they can do that. Why did God let Moses do that? And here was Jesus' answer. He did not say, notice, he did not say, because some people are such big jerks that nobody could ever live with them. That's not what he said. He said, it was because of the hardness of your hearts that God permitted Moses to grant them a divorce. But from the beginning, that was not so. In other words, my plan, God says this. He says, it was because of unforgiveness, it was because of unconditional or conditional love. But that is not the plan. See, God has designed our relationships with Him to be something we mirror in our relationships with others. That we, we don't love people because of what they've done. We love people because of how we've been loved. And when we recognize how we have been loved, that is what empowers us to love people not the way they deserve, but the way that we were loved. And we're going to continue next week and we're going to talk about some more unconditional things, and we're going to talk about forgiveness, and we're going to get into how, how the Bible says that forgiveness is the same thing. It's not about what people earn. It's a reaction to what you have already received from God. See, God created us for relationship with Him. That is the point. Acts chapter 17 Paul says, that's why he did it. He wanted you to have a relationship with him. If you're here today and you have a relationship with God, I want you to raise your hand. You say, I know that my sin is forgiven. I have accepted his forgiveness and I have a relationship with him. The Bible tells us, you can put your hand down, the Bible tells us that we should know that we have salvation. That means that we're not supposed to wait until our heart stops and find out. We can know in advance that we have salvation. Well, the way we do that is in Romans 10, 9, and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. Well, what are you saved from? You're saved from the sin that separates you from God. You see, if we were created for love, realize Adam and Eve were created to reach out and to love God. But in order for that love to be meaningful, there had to be a choice. And God had to give them a choice, and he gave them one. Can you imagine having only one choice? One. And they chose wrong. And that sin separated them. God is holy. He can't be in communion with sin. He had to remove that sin, but the wages of sin is death. And so the Bible says, how did he love us? By sending his son right away. God immediately began talking to Adam and Eve about the plan, the promise, the way that he would correct their mistake. How he would pay for their mistake 
by sending his son who died on the cross to pay for their sins so that that relationship could be restored. So that that unconditional love, the relationship we were created to have, could come back. If you don't have that relationship, if you have not accepted that forgiveness, I want to give you a chance to do that tonight. If you'd close your eyes here, if there's anybody here who would like to ask God for forgiveness of their sins and reestablish that relationship they were created for, I want to ask you to raise your hand. We will do that right here. I have one, two. All right. Here's what I would appreciate. If everybody would stand up, if everyone would stand up, this is what the Bible says. If you will confess me before my Father, this was Jesus. He said, if you will confess me before others, I will confess you before my Father. So I'm going to ask that those of you who raised your hand, come meet me right down here. We're going to pray what Romans 10, 9 and 10 said. And we are going to accept that forgiveness right now. Awesome. Praise God. So exciting. Yeah. All right. You may be here because you've, you've never made that commitment. You may be here because you're renewing that commitment. But we're going to pray that prayer. We're going to, to, to make that commitment with God right now. Everyone can repeat after me, all of us together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus who died in my place. I believe he was crucified, died, and rose from the dead. I make you the Lord of my life. I don't live for myself anymore. In Jesus' name, amen.